maybe there's a certain way of looking at the market or certain kind of lenses that you might have on or if you're only looking at a certain market or you're only looking for a certain opportunity, you know, you might look at that and say, you know, there's no deals. But I mean, I think ultimately that kind of that, that finger that's pointing at the market and says the market is insufficient really comes back and ends up pointing at the person who's saying that about the market and saying, actually, the market's totally fine. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Mark Davenport from LeVar Properties. And today we're learning about the thought processes, the psychology, the steps that he took to scale from one single family property to 145 units. And that's not 145 units like some BS metric where he invested in one syndication that that makes up 140 of those units and he's got five. No, 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 no. He and his partner have gone and acquired 145 units and that's what it is. And they've got so much more coming down the road. Uh, he tells us specifically about one deal in particular, a 12-story tower that they acquired, how they went through it, how they acquired it, the steps that they took to make the deal happen, and so much more. There's a lot to be learned in here. Mark has accomplished a lot in five years, and, and like I said, much more to come down the road. So very impressive stuff. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a quick second, leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That helps me feel good because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. This show is, after all, all about you and helping you achieve your passive wealth generation goals. No matter what podcast app you use, if you do enjoy the show, please take a quick second, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit that subscribe button, that way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest is Mark Davenport. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I love learning from folks just like Mark, including Mark, who have accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. We can learn the tactics, habits, strategies, thought processes, and everything else that led him to be successful. And that's what you're going to get today. So without any further ado, here we go with Mark Davenport. Mark, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking with you here so far. You have such an impressive story and a number of accomplishments and so much more ahead of you and an interesting business strategy. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your real estate business, can you tell us a bit about your background and what you're doing there in Kansas City? Yeah, my partner Phoebe and I, we uh, are LaVert Properties and we um, started investing in real estate about five years ago. Uh, Phoebe was uh, an occupational therapist and I was a musician. Um, we owned our single family house in uh, in New Hampshire and we... Uh, you know, we would we just had a sense that maybe there was something more for us. So we thought, yeah, passive passive income, wealth building. We got to get out of this situation where we're working forty hours to pay the mortgage, and then you know, dreaming of retirement with a house paid off that you still have to live in, so it's not liquid. Like anyway, that whole thing. I'm sure if you're listening to this show, you've thought about it, which is why you're listening to the show. Anyway, so we we sold the house and and uh, bought a duplex, a foreclosed duplex renovated, uh, placed tenants, did another one, did a whole bunch of other properties. And then five years later, uh, we find ourselves in Kansas City, Kansas. We own a number of different properties in central Kansas, a 12-story tower, a six-story tower, and are currently also um, redeveloping a historic property into a boutique hotel. So that's in a nutshell what we are. 
So that is really something. And, you know, a lot of folks who initially get into the business, maybe buy that first duplex, kind of stop there. Maybe they'll buy another duplex here or there, but don't, they don't scale to 145 doors in five years. And that is also noting that you're not playing some door count game where you're somebody that went in and, you know, participated in a syndication that was 140 of those 145 doors is a legitimate count of 145. Right. Yeah. No, I'm not into games. That's not true. I love games, but not those types of games. <laughs> so, you know, I think what's that that's very notable that you made that happen. And, and I wanted to talk about, um, in your opinion, what sets you apart from those folks that, you know, kind of get started and, and don't achieve what you've achieved? Uh, you're going to make me sound like I love myself. That's a good question. I don't really know. You'd have to ask someone who was looking at our situation. I have some thoughts as to maybe some things that might be contributing factors. I think when we got into real estate and started on the duplex, we had, we had a really big vision. My partner had a, a bigger vision than me at the time. She was encouraging me to think a lot bigger than just the duplex. Initially, I was really resistant. I felt too risky. It felt too nerve-wracking. And I still have those emotions when we go for a big property, when we, when I, when we go for a property that, that puts us in a, in a whole new category. I still am managing some fears and managing some, some concerns, anxiety. But I mean, we, we wanted it that much. Ultimately, I think maybe, maybe I could just kind of boil it down to that. We, we wanted it that much. We chose to live, put our family in a house that needed work when Phoebe was expecting our third child. We've, we've moved states. We moved from Brooklyn to Kansas City to be involved in, uh, to, have, to kind of be exposed to the commercial opportunities that this market presents. So I, I think maybe... It's just that we wanted it that much. Well, I, I certainly can appreciate that. You mentioned one thing in there, managing fears, managing anxieties. And, you know, I think fear, uh, you know, they say false events appearing real or something along those lines. That, that keeps a lot of people out. You know, that you're not a real estate investor. You talk to your buddy at work if you're a W-2 person. And that guy says, oh, my uncle lost his shirt in a great recession. You can't make money with real estate. And that most people kind of stop there. But you kept moving forward. And, you know, I'd like to, you, you were telling me before we recorded, uh, the types of properties that you're doing, it's, it's, it's not like you're buying the easy stuff. You're, I don't want to say taking a risk, but you're, you're, I don't know, tell us about the properties you're buying. How's that? I don't want to private too much. Yeah. I mean, it's all stuff that's on the MLS. And there's typically been on the MLS for years. I think maybe one of them was on for four years. And no one wanted it. So... I mean, when, we, when we're looking at stuff, we're just looking for opportunity. We're looking for something that's exciting. These days, we're looking for a, a, a project that has an impact on the, on the city uh, because it's a, it's a really key property in the city or, or you know, it's prominent in the city somehow. And, it, and it's, you know, revitalization is a, is a communal deal. It's, it's more than, uh, it's a, a different type of impact than, than, than duplex or a fourplex. Those things are significant, but it's definitely a different type of deal. So, I mean, that that's kind of it, I guess. Hmm. How about your mindset? Like, what do you do? Do you have a practice around that, or or something that you do to that that helps you move forward? Because, like you said, uh, when you were getting started, like Phoebe was pregnant with your third child, you moved yourself into a property that needed rehab, and then you you also you just kept going, and you've continued to to do those do those deals that you've done. Right. How do you work on your mindset? 
I think um, we work on it together. Uh, it happens in the uh, uh, it happens in the context of our relationship. It also happens. I, I mean, I see these properties as as a personal situation often because as I'm looking at uh, the twelve story tower we bought before we bought the twelve story tower, which is about seventy two units. It's the tallest building in the city that it's in. Before we bought that building, the biggest property we owned was a six unit wow. wood frame uh, building in New Hampshire, and then we we bought this one in Central Kansas and. It, it was, it was when I was looking at the property, I felt all these emotions before we even bought it. I was like, wow, this looks like an incredible opportunity. The numbers are just so much potential. And it's a really significant building in, 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 the, in the city. And then as I was thinking about like, oh, but what if this, what if that nerve wracking? I've, I've never done a, a tower before. I've never even, this building has three elevators. How the fuck do you say this? <laughs> you know, I... I've never done it before. I don't know. <laughs> Back then, I have a little more experience now, but I think it probably is the fact that when I see those things and I feel all those emotions, I want to work through them and I want to process through them and, and come out the other side. And because of that, I don't take that situation and then go, oh, oh, you know what? No, no, no. My emotional response to this is this might happen or this might happen. Therefore, it's too risky. We're not, I'm not like that. I'm not like that now. I used to be more like that, I guess, before. But now I'm like, no, let's go. We'll, we'll use this situation to like get to a whole nother level, like personally in terms of faith or, or uh, uh, confidence in, in, in humanity or myself, what I can do. Also financially, like it's great. It's a great investment to own a tower. Fantastic investment. So I think I, 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 maybe it's more that maybe it's that my, my inclination is to now kind of see that epic kind of opportunity and be like, yeah, let's do that. Nice. I mean, I really like that you, you broke it down that way. Now, would you say, I mean, you mentioned kind of dealing with the emotions and then working through it. How would you weight the ability to get your mindset in the right place compared to the, the value and actually knowing, having experience of working through that deal and just taking it you know, bite by bite, step by step. Would you say mindset comes first, knowing how to do it comes first? Or what are your thoughts about the, you know, relative importance of either one of those in the business? Yeah. My experience is, uh, tells me that the mindset is quite significantly the more important factor only because, not only because, but maybe for one reason might be that in order to kind of keep on biting off those little chunks to close a deal, like the, you just got to have control of your brain or, or maybe not control of your brain because everything's going crazy up there, but at least control of your actions. So if I'm like, we, we financed the property, we, we did it in a town that's three hours away from where we live. We knew no one in the town prior to buying this building. We rolled in with our kids. Did we bring our kids? I think we did bring our kids and our realtor into town, checked out this property and then went to work making relationships in the community. And all the while I'm building relationships with these bankers or, you know, talking with this person, you know, whatever to make the deal happen. My brain is firing off at various different points. Oh, you just got to be careful. Maybe you're not going to be able to close this deal. But you can have all those thoughts, but you can still say something really good. You can still say something that's, that, that presents confidence or you can still choose, even though you're, you're not sure you can get financing, you can still choose to call another five banks. So I think there's a... For me, there's a difference between what my internal state is and what the decisions I make are. And I, my internal state might be just all kinds of crazy, but if I can make good decisions, then, then we can move forward. And I can work on my internal state in time. 
But I think the key thing, or at least one key thing might be making good decisions in the midst of the, the crazy. Hmm, that is interesting. Now, I wonder, you mentioned specifically about getting financing, right? You know, and there's, there's a potential bias of somebody to say, well, this guy bought a tower, he must have had, you know, millions in the bank, he must have come from some significant amount of money or, or something like that. Listen to his accent, man, this dude was born in a castle. He moved over here, he sold some of his gold bars that his family's had for years, and you know, all that stuff. So, you know, tell us about that and your background and, you know, how that has informed where you got to, you know, for the listeners out there. Yeah, well, I mean, I grew up in Section 8 housing in the UK. It's not called Section 8 in the UK, but that's what that, that's the type of housing. It's, it's government housing. So I, I didn't have access to money in terms of our real estate situation is not us moving one pot around all the time and then having 3% growth. That's not what we do. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember one of the one of the things like when we tried to finance this property, this, this power was, I met with lots of different banks. And one of the banks was like, you don't have $2 million or millions or maybe a million or one and a half million. I don't remember the exact figure. It was a lot. You don't have that in the bank. So you, you, we, can't, we can't work with you on this deal. And I'm like, if I had that money in the bank, I wouldn't be buying this property. <laughs> so no, I don't, neither, neither Phoebe or I come, come, from, come from significant resources in that way. I mean, we weren't, we weren't homeless, but certainly our real estate adventure isn't the, the kind of moving money around situation. It's, it's, about, it's about making value where, there's, where there is none or where there's little or where no one thinks there is any, proving it and saying, maybe be the, being the first person in that town to say, yes, there's value in this building and I'm going to work on making that come through. And then eventually, of course, everyone sees it. It's difficult to be the first responder, but then in time, you know, the momentum grows and then everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, great property. Yeah, nice. Well, you know, nobody knew we wanted a, that everybody in the world wanted an iPhone until we had the iPhone and we were like, oh man, we all want one of these or Android as a case. I'm an Android user. Why did I say iPhone? But they were, iPhone was first. Now, another thing I think generally we probably don't talk about enough in real estate is getting over rejection. It's very common in, you know, the dating scene, whatever, you know, they talk about getting over rejection when you're trying to date new people. But you mentioned a, an interesting case of at least one instance of rejection. And it sounds like you went through quite a few more in getting that tower financed. And that's another aspect of psychology that I'd like to get into is, is how did you get past that? Well, I don't have, if I had the 2 million, I wouldn't be buying this tower. <laughs> how do you just keep moving forward through facing that rejection? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's turbulent. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it's less turbulent now because I've done enough that I have a, a more kind of clear. Well, now I've done one 12-story tower. I can go to someone else and say, hey, look what we did here. And it, it, well, it doesn't help me with a 50-story tower. So that would be a whole new thing. <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, you just, I guess you just got to keep on going for it. You, you, you got to be convicted. You got to know that what you know that you can do it or, or have enough that's in you that says you can always make the next step that you'll you'll just do it you'll go for it and that is our story i mean i i, I like what you say about that how people will look at our situation if anyone's looking at our situation and they will make assumptions about oh, we, the resource we had or you know this was easy it's a kind of a red velvet carpet situation you just kind of wander into these situations not that way at all in all, almost all of our properties every time or often we're always jumping up in our acquisition. So going from six stories to 12 stories or going from all multifamily to a hotel, um, whatever it is, we're often, because we love the growth and the scale and the opportunity and the adventure, we're, always, we're often looking to make that step. Um, but then actually no one wants to finance us apart from one. 
almost with 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 the key properties we've done, I've looked at all the banks in the area and there will only one that will work with us. So that's that just tells you like it's not it's not like, oh yeah, we come to town and everyone's like, oh, they're here, they're here. Oh yeah, we'll we'll finance you, we'll work with you. It's not like that at all. It's like calling everyone and sitting down and being like, oh, some will say you don't have the equity or we don't believe you can do this project. Or well, if someone says that, you know, it's kind of game time. So <laughs> So another thing I think is very notable, you know, for the listeners, um, you and I had a conversation for about a half an hour before we started recording. And you mentioned another yeah. thing I, I want to make sure to bring up, which is really recognizing value. If you remember that that part of our conversation before and and how you and, and Phoebe kind of see value differently from others. And I want to also bring up the comment that the entire time I've been a real estate investor, which is roughly the same amount of time as you uh, five, maybe six years. I don't know. Um, people have been saying there are no deals for one. And for two, the real estate market's about to crash. Now, I don't know about number two. I can't predict the future. I feel pretty good about the properties we have. I don't know what's going to happen next year for sure though. But that idea that there are no deals out there, we have to really dig for yield, dig for value. And you were talking about, you were telling me about how you kind of recognize deals and your thoughts about that. So, so tell us about that and how you, again, push push through or ignore that mentality that there are no deals out there. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've just never found it to be, it's just never been in my experience uh, that that's, that's true. I mean, I think maybe there's a certain way of looking at the market or certain kind of lenses that you might have on, or if you're only looking at a certain market or you're only looking for a certain opportunity, you know, you might look at that and say, you know, there's no deals, but, I mean, I think ultimately that kind of that that finger that's pointing at the market and says the market is insufficient really comes back and ends up pointing at the person who's saying that about the market and saying, actually, the market's totally fine. Uh, maybe not totally fine, but really the finger is mostly pointing back at you and saying, where are your eyes? Where are your glasses? What are you seeing? And I, I'm, I'm increasingly, as I get older, kind of convinced of the power of perception to alter reality uh, and, and shape reality. And I, so when I hear a com, comment like that, like what you said, where people say there's no opportunity and people say that to me too, I'm like, well, where have you looked? What, what are you looking for? Uh, you know, have you tried investing in this state or, you know, how much do you want this? You don't have to want it that much, but if you really want it, you will find, you probably will find it. So if you're not finding it, I think it's just an interesting kind of observation to say, well, maybe if you take stock of it, maybe you don't really want it that much, which is fine, but you might, that might be helpful information. I think the le the level of commitment is very important, right? Because it's, it, it, it is, the, it is true that it's hard to look and just stick your finger on the MLS and find a cash flowing property. That that's can be a reasonably factual statement, but sure. to draw the conclusion, it's not possible at all, be a little premature. And if you're really committed, you're going to keep looking. Right. Yeah, I think I, I'm, yeah, I agree. So you've tackled some interesting deals. I mean, aside from the fact that it's a 12-story tower, it's not like, uh, at least from my understanding, you're buying these properties that are, you know, the, the, the prime deals in the area. You mentioned that property was on the market for four years, which kind of says something about how, say, desirable it was to other investors. How do you but, think about that? What like what types of deals are you going after? You know, what kind of, what class would you call them? How heavy lift are they? Let's get into that. Yeah, I mean, we we invent invent new letters at the end of the alphabet for the properties we do. I mean, D D class maybe typically like C class is is just pure heaven. You know, 
um, yeah, I mean, typically we're looking for, for uh, smaller cities or towns in the Midwest that have a, uh, a blighted downtown where there's not a lot of economic activity. Uh, that's typically what I'm looking for these days as I'm kind of scouring the US for the next kind of fun properties to do. I'm looking for that. I'm looking for the right price point. I'm looking for uh, smallish towns so we can get large properties and, you know, where people have doubts about the economy. That for me is is, is perfect. Hmm. Are these, uh, I'm just kind of making this connection now, or I'm curious about this now. Um, are they, are your, your tenants like Section 8? Since you were, you grew up in the equivalent in the UK, you might be more comfortable with that than other investors or, you know, right. if it's blighted downtown. How are you, you know, assessing the demand? Right. Uh, yeah, rarely Section 8. We, we'll take Section 8 tenants. We don't manage our properties directly. We have property management companies work with them. But we will we'll, we'll take a Section 8 tenant, although I'm not sure we have any Section 8 tenants. I think it's mostly a reflection on if you have a town of 100,000 people that's remained stagnant for a while with a historic downtown that is, isn't doing so good, hasn't been revitalized, you know, those things will take their headlines. But even within that community, there's often, at least my my experience has been, I guess, somewhat limited so far. But with what I've seen, there's still a huge number of people in that town who have vision for the town. And there's still the basic status of humanity, which is there's employment. There's, there, is, there are hardworking people. So we'll typically kind of stake our bet on that and, you know, be maybe some of the early people to invest in that market. Although even then we won't be the only ones. We'll find when we, we find as we start investing that we start discovering other people who've been investing in properties downtown as well. And then the thing starts to get more momentum. I guess what I'm really saying is I like to be at the beginning or very close to the beginning of, of, of a movement or, or, or a kind of, yeah, I guess a movement in a city to make that place better. I mean, I've found... Like, for example, there's, there's a historic part of Kansas City. It's called the, the West Bottoms, historic West Bottoms. And, you know, a ton of dilapidated historic properties, really beautiful, stunning, but also kind of scary, some of them in terms of their condition. And you're talking about big, big properties, maybe 50, 75, 100 units would go in them, but they're dilapidated, they're shells. Well, one of them comes on the market for 2 million. And that's, it still needs to be developed. Well, in a, in, a, in a town that, we're, that we'll go for, where the rents aren't that much less than Kansas City, that probably comes on the market for 200000 So it's, it's the difference between, well, the rents in Kansas City aren't 20 times what they are in a, <laughs> in a small town in, in, in Oklahoma, but the property price is that much cheaper in Oklahoma. So it's that, that type of metric where we see that it's disproportionate. There's, there's, a, there's a disproportionate amount of gain to be had by being someone who goes early by being someone who sees an opportunity early, you get you, you get more opportunity because of that. You get paid for your vision, is I guess is kind of what it comes down to. Hmm. Interesting. I like that way yeah. of that way of thinking about it in many of those areas that start getting revitalized, start getting very expensive, get a lot of attention from big money developers and they drive the prices up. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's cool. I mean, that's just the way it goes. I have no critique of that, but I'm just not interested in that right now. Fair enough. Right now we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. 
Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Mark, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yeah. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Does real estate qualify? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a particular deal that that rings true to you? Yeah, it's the first one we did. We uh, went from our single family to a duplex, uh, complete kind of gut renovation type situation. It got our kind of expanded our vision for for what we could do and what was possible and our first taste of living mortgage free. <laughs> nice. I like that. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I have several of those. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> hey, we'll we'll take all of them, whatever you want. Single family homes. We've we've done a handful of single family flips, and uh, we've they've just not nearly done as well as we could have done if we'd have focused our energy on some other things. So those are lessons learned. Nice. Well, hopefully, well, you've obviously turned those lessons learned into into more money anyway. So it's all working out. <laughs> My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? It is, I think, to just take the next step. Whatever, you know, wherever I'm at uh, in my situation, which is unique to me and everyone has their own situation and wherever you want to go, wherever I want to go, all that's in front of me in any moment is just the next, just the next step is to make a phone call or to, or to go online and look at something or to or to make a point of adjusting a, a thought process that you know I now know is not helpful for me. So just to take the next step, to be relentless about just doing whatever's next. What do you think about the the situation? You have that, that next step in mind, and for some reason you're just putting it off. You're not taking it, even though you know what it would be. Yeah, I mean, if if you still think it's the right step, you just I mean, I don't know. It sounds kind of reductionist to say this, maybe, but you you just got to do it. You got to f find resources within yourself, or, or I think sometimes those situations could be indicators that it's actually not a good step for you to take. You know, so it's like you know maybe the pausing is actually because you know there's you have other information you need to look at, or you know there's a check in your gut where you're like, ah, I don't need to do this. But if you know that this is what you got to do, and you're just holding back, you just got to do it. I know it sounds reductionist, and maybe that I have in saying that I'm not helping people to do it, which is probably true. But I'm still going to say it. You just got to do it. Just got to understand yourself, know whether it's a check in your gut or whether you're just being lazy and putting the work off and not not getting sure. things done. Sure. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you for joining us uh, today. It was great learning from you. Great to get to know you. 
and it's impressive everything that you've done. And I'm sure it sounds like there are many great things to come in the future. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, they want to find you on the internet, network with you, get to know you, whatever, where can they track you down? They can find us at our website, levereproperties.com, L-E-V-A-R-E, Levere Properties. Just shoot an email to hello at Levere Properties and you'll find me. Great. Well, thank you once again so much for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because it helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me the warm and fuzzies because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.